Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. In this episode, we have such an exciting guest. We're freaking out. We don't know how, like, we just have this very lucky track record where everyone we've asked so far has not said no. And I was like, oh, this person is definitely going to say no, but I'm going to ask anyway. So later this episode, Alyssa Mastermonico is joining us. And if you don't already know who she is, she was President Obama's Deputy Chief of Staff. She also is the author of two books. We'll tell you more about her, but we are kind of freaking out. Yeah, we're, we're losing our minds a little bit. So this is really exciting for both of us. We also invited her over to your house. Yeah, she, which is she's coming to my house. So that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we can catfish her into be- being our friend? I think so. We I have mean, a good track record. We have a great track, track record. We saw some of our past guests last night. We saw Katie and Danielle. Mm-hmm. And like we're yeah. friends with them now. Yeah. And we go we hang out with Ashley all the time now. I know. Yeah. It's great. Alyssa, watch out. Yeah, we're coming for you, Alyssa. New best friends. Before we get into this, highs and lows. Yes. Let's do this. Okay. So my high, can can recording with Alyssa count as my high? Yes. Um, other other than that, I would say it's probably all the prep we're work we're doing for our live show. Um, that will have already happened by the time this episode drops. The other thing I would say is Katie and um, Hunter's babe body class last night. We took Soul Cycle. So our friends Katie Serino, who you know, and her friend Hunter McGrady are starting this initiative. If you're in New York, you should follow them on Instagram. It's called Babe Body. And they are doing these amazing inclusive workout classes all over the city at like the best boutique fitness studios. I always find um, those kind of workout classes to be really intimidating because I'm usually like the uncoordinated clumsy one in the back. And it's just like so positive and wonderful and uplifting. We had the best time. It was really fun. Yeah. I like SoulCycle, but I'm very excited to try a different class that I've never done before yes. with them. Yes. They're doing SLT next week, but I'm not going to do that. No. Yeah. So my high, I mean, I hope my high in real life is our live show. I hope it was amazing. Yeah. It will have already... Today is Wednesday. It was on Monday. Good luck, future Becca. Yeah. Good luck, future Grace. But my actual high is that I just got back from San Francisco. I was there for a week, and it was so lovely. I am jealous still of your trip. I know. I got to catch up with so many of my friends there. I am a social butterfly in San Francisco. I had plans every single night. Uh, I just flitted around and hung out with all of my friends on different nights. Um. I planned this great group dinner. We went to this amazing tapas place called Bayota, and Oof. we had a group dinner, and I made all of my friends be friends with each other because some of them didn't know each other. Yeah. It was so fun. I went to Napa on Sunday. To, I saw that, too. To Klein, which to is Klein, the best To Klein, my wine. favorite vineyard. It's my favorite because it's cheap. I think it's $10 for a tasting, but they also have picnic tables, so it's yeah. very- It's so casual. Low-key, because yeah. I feel like sometimes if you go wine tasting- you go to a bunch of different places and you're just like, there's no downtime. You're just pounding wine. And at some point they all start to taste kind of similar. Yeah. So I really like the low key vineyards where you can um, kind of like sit and have a picnic. We also went to a new vineyard that I'd never been to before called Jacuzzi. Apparently the Jacuzzi family of like the Jacuzzi tub then spent their hot tub money. Didn't we try and go there? I feel like I have a memory of us trying to go there at Jackie's Bachelorette, and we got remember. we got turned down. I don't remember. We didn't have a reservation, but it was very good. It's an Italian winery, and it's great. Awesome. So I had a lovely time in San Francisco. Well, I'm very jealous. 
What about Lowe's? Um, I'm just balancing a lot. Like as the podcast grows, there's definitely a lot more work for it. And I'm dealing with a lot of work right now with the blog and also just like upcoming partnerships. But the my bullshit low is that I lost the case to my AirPods. I'm terrified of getting AirPods because well, for I'm not terrified of losing the case. I'm terrified of one of them falling out of my ear, specifically on a subway platform. Or that happens to me on the stairs of the subway. I got it back, but yeah, I feel like they're my, precarious. I feel like I don't have the right shaped ears. My headphones always fall out. Oh, weird. My, they stay in fine, like unless I'm like really bouncing around. Like I can run in them, everything, but I can't seem to ever keep track of the case. Oh, well, so that now sucks. I have to go get a new case, but I think they have a new wireless charging case, Ooh. which as an Apple nerd, I'm excited about. You have to plug in the other one? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. So, you know, I have those Corant mats all over my apartment where yeah. you just throw your phone down and it charges them. I want one of those. Yeah, it's it's life changing. It's nice to just throw your phone down next to your bed. And I have one on the other side of the bed, one by the TV and one at my desk. Oh, I want one of those. Yeah, that would be an obsession. I should have talked about that. But guys, it's C-O-U-R-A-N-T and they're amazing. Does it work through your pop socket? No, I have to take the pop socket off, which sucks. You take it off every time? Yeah. It's still sticky? No, I just take the the whole case off. Oh, you take the whole case off? Yeah. My case is silicone, so it doesn't really, it, it's like pretty easy oh. to take off. I was at, When I was in San Francisco, my friend Lauren had two different like chargers that you don't plug in and one of them didn't work with the pop socket and one of them did so i need to find out what the brand was of the one that worked with the pop socket okay i'm sorry that you lost your case it's it's a bullshit low like i just had to i had to have a low to share like things are great i'm a little too busy but i'm making money when you're self-employed i i try and just take that stress and be like you have money so you have to chill out yeah yeah so my low is kind of an ongoing problem that I have with a person named past Becca and past Becca does this thing where she doesn't want to do something right now so she puts it off until a later date and now I'm really dealing with the pile up of the bullshit things that past Becca didn't want to do and I (laughs) scheduled all of them for this week oh that sucks past Becca also is overly optimistic about how much future Becca can do yeah so I am so overwhelmed. I was working when I was in San Francisco, but I took off Friday. And then on Monday, I did some work, but the plane internet really sucked, so I didn't get as much done as I wanted. So I came back. First day back, I had back-to-back meetings all day. Then I had a speaking engagement. I have had so many new business meetings. I'm pitching way too much new business, but I guess that's a good problem. We have our live show. I have so many calls and coffees and meetings that I should have just said no to, frankly. I had to start telling people no this week. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm having scheduling anxiety and I will talk to you in mid-April. Yeah, I just, I feel like I just (laughs) two weeks ago plopped everything on my calendar and was like, I'll deal with it when I get back from San Francisco. Yeah. And now I'm dealing with it and it's not great. Yeah, yeah. I I can relate big time. I'm excited. I, I feel like I need to do just... This afternoon, I'm going to cancel my workout class and just sit down and do work from four to nine and catch up as much as possible. And I feel like then I'll feel better. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do as well tonight. Because I want to go in to live show week with a good, fresh attitude and not be thinking about the nine million things that I have to do. 
So before we go to Alyssa and we talk to her about all of your questions about her life and working in the Obama White House and politics and cats and everything. You made me take the cats question out. So not about cats. We're going to talk about cats at some point. It's time for a minute of desperation. Our favorite minute. Hey, Becca, if someone likes this podcast and like wants to maybe help us grow and do more live shows and get even bigger, better guests, what can they do? They should leave us a review in the iTunes store. Leave us a review. You can click five stars if you're pressed for time. It takes three seconds. We love the creative writers we in the room. Love, we, you guys are really good writers. Leave us a written review. We read all of them. We love them. Well, the nice ones we the love. The nice ones. And... Honestly, reviews are the number one thing that impact the ratings algorithm for the iTunes store, which is why we ask. Yeah. It's not how many downloads we get. It's how many new reviews we get. So Yeah. And it's crazy because like tons of people can be downloading, but iTunes isn't going to show us on the charts if we're not getting new reviews. So leave us reviews. We sound desperate. We know. We hate being desperate. We are desperate. We are desperate. It's cool. If Um, you've already left us a review, join our Facebook group. Last week's book had so much conversation in the Facebook group. It was awesome. It was crazy. I actually had to send people out of my DMs over to the Facebook group because I had so many people being like, I want to talk to you about this. I'm like, did you know we have a Facebook group? And they were all like, wait, what? There's like 75 people commenting about and discussing this book right now. And follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast, where we have all sorts of book memes. You'll be the first to know if we do more live shows. And fun things. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Bring. A, I would say bring a friend to our live show, but it's sold out, and it's gonna be gone. It's gonna be done by now. <laughs> Especially if you live in Boston, DC, or Chicago, introduce all your friends to our podcast, yeah. so that when live show comes, they want to go with you. Yes, exactly. Or put us on your Instagram story. And that is our desperation minute. Thank you. We love you. Alyssa Mastermonico is, she probably needs no introduction, but she is the co-host of the Crooked Media podcast, Hysteria, and she is a New York Times bestselling author. So her first book, Who Thought This Was a Good Idea, was one of my personal favorite books that I've read. It was all about her time working for Obama. And then to use her words about being a short woman with gastrointestinal issues and an advocate for free tampons. Her newest book, So Here's the Thing, is a collective of essays addressing underserved topics meant to show women that you can still be yourself while being powerful, whether you're you're working in government or anywhere. I think that's probably what we admire so much about Alyssa. She can be so incredibly inspiring, but also relatable and hilarious. And she's a cat lady. I'm a cat lady. Alyssa, we're so excited you're here. You guys, you're never going to get rid of me. Um, I like that threat. (laughs) We've just been sitting here for the past like 40 minutes just talking about everything, and it's been so much fun. Thanks, guys. But now we're going live. So our audience freaked out when we said that you were coming on the podcast. And I think... (gasps) Don't freak out. No, in a good way. In a good way. A really good way. Oh, God. See, you guys... Oh, sorry. I'll never have high (laughs) self-esteem. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) They were like, why are you becoming derivative? No, in a a good way. (laughs) And I think we got more questions for you than we've gotten for any other past guests. (gasps) Yeah. Well, we're going to answer them. Great. So, I mean, before we get started, though, I want to talk about your new book. Yeah. The new one? Yeah. Yes. So here's the thing. Yes. yes. What can I tell you? 
Well, give everyone who hasn't read it yet a little bit of the overview. Oh, the yeah. overview. So the overview is basically that the first book was a lot about my experience with uh, President Obama and sort of how I got there and the journey and blah, blah, blah. And so the second book was a response to a lot of the questions I got from the first book. Okay. So a lot of women, you know, it was very funny because some of the first Amazon reviews, you should never read your Amazon reviews. I think that's in page one of the second book. We're like <laughs> TMI on the IBS. And the funny thing is, is that that was literally turned out to be just one reviewer's opinion. I loved it. It made you so relatable. All of these women and men emailed me and they said, oh my God, I've never known how to deal with it because like when you're sitting at your desk and you're in a meeting, and then you feel like you have to go, you get nervous, and then it makes it worse. And so now I just tell my boss that I suffer from IBS. And so whether it was like dating at the office, IBS, clothes, um, sort of like healthcare, anything, people had lots of questions. And weirdly, a lot of people figured out my email address. And they sent me the questions. And so I kept a running list of them because I just think everything we should do should have a purpose. And so the purpose of this book was to just answer a lot of those questions that people had and like, you know, punctuate them with some funny stories. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yes. tell us how you got like the the elevator pitch version of how you got to where, where you, you are. are now. Elevator pitch would be that I was uh, raised in a very small town in upstate New York in a very small high school with very few classmates, and then I went to the University of Vermont. I loved languages. I was a French major with minor in Japanese. Uh, and I, one summer I decided I wanted to live in Burlington and my parents were like, well, you need to have a purpose for living in Burlington. And so I said, well, I'll get an internship. And Burlington, because it's a pretty small community, was also very political. Like I think Howard Dean, who was running for governor, registered me to vote in 1994. And oh, so wow. like, that's kind of ha what it was like. Yeah. And you would see Bernie Sanders all the time. And I thought that Bernie was really interesting and that his policies were really sort of progressive, you know, for back in 1994. And so I applied to be an intern. I loved it. I loved it so much because the thing that people I think would find interesting now is that what I loved about it then was that as a little intern who came in and whose job was to answer the phones, I did see things like people calling in with a problem on a Monday and it going through the like you know the cycle at work and it being solved or they're having some sort of response by the following Monday when I would be back and I thought that it was amazing how government could help people. So I was hooked. That's how I got into politics. Um, and because I was such a little like adorable intern dipshit who answered the phones <laughs> with such enthusiasm, but then also just came prepared for anything. So I would read all the local papers in Vermont. I would read the New York Times because I wanted and hoped that if anyone asked me a question, I would be able to answer it and I would prove to them that I could do more than answer the phones which is what happened. And so the next summer, uh, they offered me an internship in Washington, D.C., which was terrifying um, because everyone there is just like super uptight and so like self-important. And it, it was – then I was like, maybe this isn't for me. Um, but I still just loved helping people. And so I graduated from the University of Wisconsin. I worked for one of Bernie's friends – uh, Ed Garvey, who I met on the phone when he called to talk to Bernie one day. I saw the 608 area code. This is kind of like a lesson to people, like the boundary. Like I pushed the boundary of what was appropriate a little bit, but it turned yeah. out to work because I was like, oh, are you calling from Madison? And he said, yes. I said, oh, I'm going to be in Madison in a month. And he said, well, then you're going to come see me. And if I had not met him, 
I would have been in a lot more trouble when I got arrested for having a fake ID and wouldn't have had any money to pay for it because it turns out that the man who hired me, may he rest in peace, he passed away a few years ago, was the biggest, most famous labor attorney in the country. He unionized the NFL Players Association. He was just a progressive genius, and he hired me. I worked for him for my two years in Madison, and I saved all of my money, which went towards paying a $500 fine for having a fake ID and living in Washington for my internship. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So that was that. And then it was just a long path of not getting any of the jobs I wanted but still having to pay my bills, which is how I was a paralegal babysitter. Like where I had so many absurd jobs. And then one day, uh, the one thing that I always tried to do was save money. And I was able to save enough money that I could accept a job for $20,500 a year. Oh, my God. Working for John Kerry. When I wrote him a manifesto late one night that was like, what am I doing with my life? I'll be your intern. I was probably 24, 25. And I was basically applying to be an intern all over again. And that was it. From that point on, pretty much, I was in politics doing one thing or another. So I want to talk a lot That wasn't more. an elevator pitch. Yeah, don't don't think okay. I thought that was an elevator that's pitch. Okay. I just want you to know. No, I mean, it's all like, it's your so show. interesting. You're a co-host here now. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're not getting rid of you. Yeah. Okay, you, great, guys. You Every live here week. now with Tyrion. I'm going to bring my cats. Yeah, it's going to be the cats. whole thing. It's going to be awesome. Well, four cats. So I want to talk a lot more about your career. But first, I thought we would start with the life questions. Yeah. Like, start with the softball Yeah, these questions. Are Do it. Okay, guys. Quick and easy. Lob it at me. Yeah. All right. Somebody wanted to know what are the three things you would take to a desert island? And they specifically said that they loved the lists in your second book. So they want a list. You know what? Yeah. I love a list. I love those lists, lists too. So I wanted to do lists. Um, yeah. Three things for a desert island. Um, I would have to bring some anthology of just all of my favorite Grateful Dead albums because what would I listen to? Okay. Um, I would have to bring pot both for my stomach and for enjoying the Grateful Dead albums. And then I would need food to eat, so I would probably bring – I mean, I've – okay, if it doesn't have to last the whole time I'm there, let's it's just – It's a magical Let's just island. say fried chicken yeah. because that would be the best day ever. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you're not – you're not a survivalist. You're not getting off this island. You're just living your best life. I'm just gonna eating my fried best chicken. Island. I love it. You're smoking some pot. You're <laughs> eating fried eating chicken, chicken and listening, to, and the listening dead. to the Grateful Dead. Wow, that sounds like a not pretty a, good island. That's it. Not a bad you're, desert. You're island. welcome to. You're welcome to join. It's way better than Batch in Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved this question. Could you talk a little bit about your close male friendships? I love that you managed to have these amazing friendships with men while still being unapologetically feminine. Yeah, I was just, you know, I think I've always been lucky that I was basically surrounded by feminist men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I I wouldn't even even going all the way back to like when I was a paralegal, like the the male lawyers that I worked for were like oddly progressive. And I mean, I don't know, guys, are we actually saying that men treating women equally is progressive? I guess in 90, <laughs> in 98, it was, you know, but sad, but true, sad, but sad, true. but true. In some ways, it's my my bros that can tell me the hard truths in a way that like some of my ladies can't. Because when you think about it, it's like if your girlfriend tells you something like you're both women, you're both the same age, is there some judgment? Is there some sort of like they want something that you don't have? 
yay or nay, I know that my bros are not competitive with me in any way. And so, you know, the, the bigger, the one of the questions that people always thought was like, well, you know, you and Dan Pfeiffer or you and John Favreau, like, did you guys ever date? And like, that's a hard no. And I know they would say <laughs> hard no too, because there was something very familial and very family-like about all of our relationships. And it's not even about having the friendships with, with men per se. It's about surrounding yourself with people who want the very best for you. And in my life, that's been a pretty even split of men and women. What is the gender split like in the White House? It's much it's much more men than women. No, so no. that was actually it's 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 an interesting observation because when we were there people would try to report on that. And in previous administrations they used to try to report on diversity, mm-hmm. right? And so now here we are, African American president, so reporters are like, what are we going to try and talk about? So they tried to talk about the split. And the truth is that the most senior level in the White House, which is counterintuitive to most people, is the assistant level. To be an assistant to the president is the most senior position oh. in the White House. It's actually very funny because sometimes when I do like television shows – yeah. People will be like, and she was an assistant to President Obama. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> assistant to the president is different. But so there are uh, – the number of assistants to the president is uh, congressionally restrained because it has to do <laughs> – going down the rabbit hole – with executive privilege. So only so many people can claim it in an administration. So it's between 20 and 25 And in our administration, we had I think about 25 and it was like 12 to – it was 12 and 13. And it went back and forth. It was a pretty oh, wow. even split. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel split. really great. That's yeah. not what I expected, but I really like the answer. No, it was. The problem mm. is that the people who did television the most, and this is why people really need to do their work. And we're going to talk about 2020 later just because we're going to. Can't gonna. wait. Yes. But this is why people have to do their homework because a lot of the reporters would say this and we're like, well, wait, do I not count? Like, does Alyssa not count? Does yeah. Danielle not count? Do you only count Valerie because Valerie does television? And so we would kind of get into it with the reporters and be like, well, if you're saying that the men dominate the West Wing, you're actually just saying the rest of us don't count because we all have the same position and the president takes all of our counsel with the same weight. Right. So, so that is the answer. We were pretty, we were pretty evenly split. I love that. Yeah, me too. So one part that we both really loved in your book was uh, where you talked about not having kids. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. That was a tough one. Well, I'd I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that for people who haven't read the book, but the person specifically asked, how do you think, how do you define success and satisfaction for yourself as opposed to a more traditional view of like, check the box, marriage, kids? So that's pretty good, you know, because I never really did think, I was never obsessed with the idea of getting married. I did always think I wanted to have kids. I can't have kids um, biologically, um, which is fine. There are a lot of ways to have kids. I've thus far chosen not to do it. The thing that I thought was important in writing about it is that I think that we're all expected to have an answer that is definitive. Yes. It's like, yes, I want them. No, I don't. And if you say no, you don't, you're literally – people continue staring at you until you provide reasons yeah. why you don't want them. And I'm going to tell everyone listening that when someone asks you a question you don't like, you just answer yes or no and stop talking because the silence is theirs to fill, not yours. And that, that is, is such good advice. Well, I find – so I usually tell people that I don't know if I want to have children. and nobody, Which is a fine answer. Which nobody is satisfied with. And yeah. everyone always says, oh, you will. 
I get that too. And I'm like, no, I'm 37. Like, I don't. It's patronizing. It's so condescending. It's basically telling you you don't know your own brain or your own feelings. And the truth is, you could wake up in 10 years and be like, yeah, do I want to, do I? Am I in this place? Like, to me, life is all about timing. Yeah. And so if there is something that sparks you, I mean, I don't want to be weird. And your listeners may not know this movie reference, but remember Baby Boom with Diane Keaton? Yeah. Okay, you know, that's fine. So Diane Keaton, this is a movie in the 80s where she's like this high-powered businesswoman and a friend of hers passes away and she was never going to have kids and her friend leaves her this child, right? And it ends up changing her life entirely. She moves to Vermont. She starts a baby food company. Like, it's a great fucking movie. It's a good movie. But it's all about timing. And so, you know, I just think that the the point of my chapter was that I'm never going to tell anyone how to feel and I don't ever want anyone to tell me what I want or how I feel. And the other thing that was interesting is that of all the people who would make comments to me like it's not too late were people who actually didn't even know me that well and so i thought it was a really um intrusive like just move like yeah like why would you tell me how or what i feel and the funny thing is is that of all the chapters i must have reread that one 15 20 times because i was so afraid i was going to offend someone Mm -hmm. by talking about how i feel and Think about how crazy that is. But it is. And I just think that people – it is the, – the one thing I wish we could get better with, I wish that reporters on television could. I wish that people like, – just saying I don't know the answer is utterly, totally fucking acceptable. It is fine. Yeah. And so saying that something as big as having children is something you don't know about yet literally makes more sense than almost anything else should. And so I think that people need to just like take a pill. I love that. I mean, a I chill, a chill pill, yeah. not like an IVF pill. That wasn't <laughs> yeah. mine. Not like a birth control. Not yeah. like a birth control pill. Yeah, we're gonna move gears and talk about our favorite Obama. Oh, we please. miss him. Your book made me just cry so much because I just missed him. Like I obviously don't know him. Okay, Barack Obama. Okay. Yes. I felt like I knew him reading your book. Like it was just it made me so nostalgic for him as a person, and just like oh, we miss him. He and Flotus, a.k.a. Michelle Obama, who is now the best-selling memoir author oh. in the world. Ten million copies. Yay, she sold out Flotus. the Barclay Center for her book tour. I know, tour. I was there. Like, oh. Like, and it wasn't even like, oh, like, we'll do, you know, like, Rockefeller Center. Or, um, we'll do, I can't remember. Like, Radio City. Radio City, that's what no, I'm trying to think of. No, it was Barclays. <laughs> and the best part is because... Uh, her team is so amazing. It's like, you know, if a month before she comes to Barclays, you get an email that's like, hey, Flotus wants to know if you you can come to Barclays. And so you get there and you're in the VIP room and it is everyone, first of all, just like being in the presence of Michelle, like everybody has to be chill. Like you can't be like a weird star fucker. Like, and there's like Laura Linney and there's Al Sharpton and there's Alicia Keys. And I was stalking Ina Garten and her husband, Jeffrey. Oh my God. God, because, I would be dying. Okay, I was di- I was I was dying. And they were right behind me when I was walking in and I was with my friend Leah and I'm like she's like they're right behind you and I was like I know but I can't be that person. I'm like I need a drink first. And then we got in there and it was their anniversary and I knew it and I thought that was a weird thing for me to know. And so I finally got the courage up to go over and say hi and she vanished because I didn't realize she was actually she was on stage with Michelle for a part of the oh. event. But no, I mean, the thing to just know, 
and this also sort of dovetails a bit into 2020 and what so many people ask me all the time, which is like, who should I support? Okay. Or women who are like, how do I become you? No, 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 no. I love that <laughs> chapter of the second book. Yeah, like, how do just, I be you when I'm let's 35? Let's just pull that thread a little yeah. bit. So the reason I was successful, the reason that – like when Barack and Michelle, uh, POTUS and FLOTUS, back when they were just Barack and Michelle, were thinking about running for president, we sat around a table, not different, not much different than the one we're sitting around right now, and he was like, okay, here's the deal. If we do this, I'm doing it as me. I'm going to win as me or I'm going to lose as me, but I'm not going to try to be someone else just to win. You guys cool with that? And we were like, yeah. And so the the thing about him is that like we knew exactly what we were getting. He cared about us as much as anybody else did. Like one of the funnier – I think this is okay to say um, – when you get to the White House, things really change and it's, of course, much more hierarchical and there's more protocols. And so we're doing one of those meetings where you talk about if something really bad happens, like if there's a nuclear attack, if something mm-hmm. happens. And that was part of my job as deputy chief of staff to understand and be part of those uh, what we call them exercises when when you would pretend you would do an exercise if, as if something was actually happening. And the president's first question was, when we talked about the locations and the evacuation and where we would all go, he looked at me and he goes, but what about uh, Mary Catherine and Ethan, who were the wife and son of the White House press secretary, Robert Gibbs? And I was like, they don't come. And like, but that was his first thought was like, well, what about Robert's family? Like, I don't want Robert to have to come to me. If something bad's happening, I want him to be able to go with his family. And of course, I'm the one who has like zero, zero sensitivity. I was like, yeah, well, that's a choice he can make. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but that's, but that's like in a nutshell, that's who he was, is, is. He's still is. with us. He's, he's just not, is. he's just not where we want him to be. Yeah. Well, that kind of dovetails into one of the questions we had for you, which is what, was your favorite thing about Obama as a person, not as president? Oh, as a person. Well, the truth is he loved – it was like the side – it was like the social side. So one – well, the most – if I want to be like completely just – the one thing about him that's better than almost any human on the planet is his intellectual curiosity. Like he could not know enough about things. He was like a sponge and not just like super esoteric things, all kinds of things. But he also could be – he was very into pop culture. And so – That's kind of surprising. I wouldn't ever oh, know that. yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. We had many convos about Mariah Carey or shows on television or pretty much anything, especially back when we were in the Senate office. Mm-hmm. But – Sometimes when we were in uh, – when you're in the White House, a lot of the movie studios used to send you movies in ad- like advanced copies mm-hmm. of certain things. And so we would always talk about the movies. They would do screenings in the White House a lot. One of my other favorites was when we did um, Julie and Julia. And Meryl Streep came and Amy Adams came and Stanley Tucci came. I would die. And it was – and uh, they, they held it in the White House Theater, which is maybe 40 seats. And again – you know, you'd think that like there I was working in the White House that I would just like go up to people and be like, hi, I love you. But I didn't. I just hovered creepily at like a safe distance from Meryl Street being like, I love you so much. You didn't even you didn't even I introduce didn't. Yourself? I didn't introduce myself because I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm still a nervous nerd. But that was the fun stuff that it wasn't like everyone sitting around talking about economic 
public policy all the time because also the Obamas knew that's not what normal people talked about all right. the time. Yeah. And so they were very able to converse in all different ways. Uh, and they love music, which of course I love music. So it was, there was always, uh, it was always a good time. I can tell you that. That's a, that's the thing people that. don't know. It was always a good time unless yeah. he was tired. <laughs> oh. Then it wasn't. A good well, I mean, time. I'm also a monster if I'm tired. So I mean, like, right? I, oh, so yeah, no same. judgment. It's I'm very terrible. reasonable. No judgment. Yeah. Okay. Please don't break my heart. Tell me that the Ob- the Obama Biden friendship is real. It's real. And is it as real as it is in the memes? <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty real. I mean. Like the memes make it seem more like slapstick comedy course, yeah. than it was, but no, I mean they they are. It's not even like the the memes make it seem like this sort of like bro down friendship. I would say more their family. Okay, that is that is the way that I would describe their relationship. When you know when when Bobby came ill, um, I was getting my hair done one day, and the president called me to tell me what was happening and to say that he wanted me to handle getting the vice president down to Texas to MD Anderson. And he wanted to make sure that they had everything they needed, that nobody saw them, that they had total privacy and that this was like literally the one thing I couldn't fuck up. And even though it wasn't really my job, like my job was a little bit different at this point than it had been in the past. He's like, I need you to do, I just need you to handle soup to nuts every bit of the logistics. And I was like, got it, got it. Like, of course, of course. But that's kind of, that's like, I mean, it's like a personal example. I don't normally talk about that, but um, but that's the best way I describe that. I feel their relationship in my heart is that story. Oh, thank you for not breaking my heart. No, no, there's no breaking your, no, don't worry. Good. And, now, do you and Obama still keep in touch? Yeah. I mean, look, it's like we don't text. Like, it's not <laughs> It's not like that. But, you know, when he is in New York or I'm in D.C., it's like, oh, is he around? Or he'll, you know, like last year I actually got to interview Michelle for a history channel event. Oh, really? Um, oh, fun. Yeah, it wasn't on television. It was a, it was a, a private event. But I was so nervous and because it's like Flotus. And I got there and, you know, there are all these like colleagues of mine who are standing around and she comes in. She's like, you're still so little and cute. And I was like, oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, But that's just how it is. And like at her book event, I've actually seen Michelle more than – I've seen the First Lady more than the President in the last year. But, you know, it's like no time has passed basically. Yeah. That's, That's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, I was already feeling nostalgic for Obama, but now my heart feels like really Well, warm you know what's fuzzy. funny? A girlfriend of mine, one of the greatest things about working in the White House was, and this sounds corny, but it is entirely true, was that what you could do to other people, like for other people. Mm-hmm. like, And so this is uh, three years ago today was uh, a, a White House egg roll, the Easter egg roll. Okay. Which was the single greatest day to be at the White House because it was filled with music and children and people's families and people who you thought were like very serious and uptight that you worked with would be with their like adorable child just like rolling down the hill. And I started thinking through one of my friends reached out and was like, I just got notified like one of the Instagram like three years ago today's mm-hmm. that it was the that it was the egg roll and I was like my god and she goes you know you changed my family's life like that's like a day we'll never forget oh. and so many people say that because because despite what this administration has done it is the most aspirational place 
on earth. Absolutely. And that was being able to do that for people was like one of my greatest highlights of working there. And I was feeling very emo on my way over here thinking about it. Mm. Oh, so we're going to take a quick break for an ad and then we want to talk about politics and work. Okay. Guys, we are so excited about today's sponsor. I don't know about you, Becca, but for me, I find bra shopping to be the absolute worst, um, especially the try-on process, especially pushy salespeople. I always just walk away feeling bad about myself. I hate shopping for bras as well. And today's sponsor is a new-to-me brand that I'd never heard of before called Harper Wild, and I am kind of obsessed with them. So they're a female-founded brand, which you know we love, and they set out to design a supportive bra that is both comfortable and high quality. Their bras are a great price because sometimes bra prices are a total racket. Total racket. $40. Yeah. The basic one is $40. And they go up to a 42F. Which is amazing. Yeah. And what we love most is that they have a home try-on, so you don't need to go to the store You can just get a few different sizes, send them to your house, try them all on, and keep the one you like. Exactly. So you pick three bras in different sizes, colors, or styles. They get shipped to you. What I love about this is they actually don't even charge your credit card. You only pay for the bras that you keep. And there's free shipping both ways too. So say you happen, you won't, this won't happen, but if you order three bras, don't love them, you're, send them back. You don't pay for shipping. You don't, your credit card never gets charged. So you're not like waiting for a refund or any of that. It's so easy. So, The thing that I love about their bras is that they took out all of the embellishments. I hate the bows and the Oh, my God. I cut cut bows off of all my bras. And the rhinestones. These are just a great basic bra. They fit super well. It's very comfortable. And the thing that I like the most, Grace, is that you can adjust the straps in the front. I know. It's such a game changer. No reaching around your shoulder, like trying to get the right fit. We all know I don't go to yoga, so I don't have the flexibility to do the acrobatics that sometimes adjusting your bra requires. It's such a smart company. I love mine. It's so, so soft. It's finally a bra that you don't want to take off the second you get home. There's no pokey underwires or itchy fabrics, and they're totally seamless, so you can't see them under a t-shirt. I'm wearing mine right now. Can you see it? I can't. See? Yeah. It works. Yeah. The other thing I love is that their bras come in three different shades of nude. Yes. So so it can match your skin tone um, for a variety of colors. And uh, they also come in black. Yeah. So the last thing that we'll say is we love the charitable angle. A portion of the brand's profits are actually donated to reputable projects all around the world to help women gain access to education in over 120 countries. I love one of my purchases do good, too. Yes. If you would also like to try Harper Wild, go to Harper Wild, that's wild with an E, dot com slash B-O-P to get started with your free home try-on. And they will also, because you're a B-O-P listener, if you use the URL, you will get a free bra wash bag. Yes. So to do this, just make sure that you select three bras to try on. And don't forget, you actually have to add the wash bag, which is listed under wild things to your cart as well. So that's Harper Wild, wild with an E, W-I-L-D-E dot com slash B-O-P to try on the three bras at home and receive a free gift. HarperWild.com slash B-O-P. Now back to Alyssa. 
So moving on to politics. Okay. What would you say is the best way to handle productive conversations with people who don't necessarily have the same viewpoints as you do? So this is – it's so hard because it literally depends more on the other person than it does on you. Yeah. And so the thing that I would say is like there are certain topics that are so divisive, abortion, you know – pro-life, but sometimes it's it's interesting to ask someone. Actually, it is the most divisive, so we'll use it as the example. Um, so I am pro-choice, of course, for myself. I think everyone should have a choice. I think it's easier to have a choice than not have a choice. And if you don't believe in it, then just don't exercise that choice. But there are people whom I've asked the question of that I found very interesting answers. Like that they, you know, that that – that that they had gotten pregnant, that they never could have – in a very difficult circumstance, that they had the baby, so everybody else should have had the baby. Like that if they could do it. But I think that when – that behind most people who you will have a conversation with, there is some sort of personal story that has informed their choice. Yeah. And so if you can understand or get them to tell you that story, it's a lot easier – for you to have that conversation then. Or maybe you decide it's not the conversation that you should be having because something in the person's life has made them feel the way that they feel. And so I would always lead with curiosity. Any issue, I think that that is the easiest way to have a productive discussion is don't tell people how you feel. Start by asking them why they feel the way they feel because it's a less defensive approach and it usually gets better information. I really like that. I had an interesting experience with a friend because I'm very um, pro-gun control. And um, I have a friend who we grew up – like we went to college together, lived in Boston, and she now lives in Texas and since then has been like, no, no, I need a gun. And we had the most interesting conversation at dinner. Like it's it's crazy how we've both changed so much because I lived in New York. I live in New York now, have for twelve years, where she's been in Texas for twelve years. Right. And your views change and your life experiences change. So was her decision that she wanted to have a gun based on like protection or living someplace rural or was it, was it rural. she lives yeah. somewhere rural and she's had people like who live like i mean near near her there is like a mile away from someone right but um who have been robbed or like held up at gunpoint and if you don't have a you know if you live in it's the very sticks different. and you don't have a gun well and i grew up in upstate new york where on the first day of hunting season there was literally an announcement that came over the pa that said reminder Everyone must take their guns home. There can be no guns and gun racks like in the cars in the parking lot. <laughs> oh my God. And that's because people went hunting and they were they were that's what the guns intent was for. And so, but once you find that out about someone, you're like, "Oh, okay. Well, I get that." Yeah. And that's then you totally... can say, "Well, do you think there should be background checks?" And they're like, "Well, of course." And then you're like, "Oh, so we are on the same page." Yeah. In a way. In a way. Right? Exactly. It's all about finding common ground. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because I think so often you're talking in very vague terms with people about their political views. Right. And, you know, it has nothing to do with you. It's very easy to have an opinion. Politics is personal. Yeah. That's what you always have to remember. Politics is personal. And so, you know, just lead with curiosity. Ask lots of questions before you tell people how you think they should feel, which isn't cool. I wouldn't want anyone to do that to me. Of course. Yeah. And so, you know, lead with curiosity. Well, 
So talking about politics being personal, what is the best way that individuals who do not work in politics can get involved in the upcoming presidential election? So let's not call it a presidential election. Okay. Let's call it 2020. Okay. Because what happened in 2018, the great wave of women that came in, well, guess what? All those women are going to be up for re-election in 2020, and there are going to be so many more people who are running. And so what happens every four years is that there is a presidential election, and all of the focus, as it is right now, are on these people who are running. And so I like to p- remind people that it is still the soup to nuts. Yep. And so people think, when they think of it as the presidential, they're like, well, should I quit my job and go work for Elizabeth Warren? No, you don't have to do that. You There are so many things. One, you can start like a local group. If there's like someone who you have an affection for, uh, whether it's a congressional candidate, a city councilor, someone running for president, start a group. That was one of the greatest things that came out of the first Obama campaign. It was called um, MyBarackObama.com. And it was a place where people in area codes could meet each other and they would get together and talk about things or have sign making parties or, you know, come up with, you know, groups to go canvassing. So first I would say just find your affinity group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you can, you don't have to find something. You can create your own thing. So I would say do that. If you really want to, you know, the thing that I always say is like the most important thing is you have to pay your bills. Right? We all have to pay our bills. We need to make sure we have health insurance. And so if that means that you shouldn't, couldn't, or wouldn't go work on a presidential campaign or a congressional race or anything else, find something that you care about. It can be a ballot initiative. It can be the person running for mayor. And pick just like one day. And I say this especially for younger people who don't know if they want to make the leap into politics. Mm -hmm. They want to like get their toes wet. Find someone and show up be like, be a volunteer, and even if, say you can do six to nine on Monday nights, and that's all you can do. Well, first of all, there's no all. Like, that's good. That's a lot. And just make it your point to show up every Monday from six to nine, because they'll start expecting you, and then they'll start counting on you, and then, like, you can really see, like, build that relationship and see if it's something that you want to do. And also, when people say, like, talk about getting into politics – Most of them don't know what they're talking about. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. It's like, do you want to be a fundraiser? Do you want to do field? Do you want to do comms? Do you want to do digital? Do you want to do social media? And so I think that volunteering gives you a real window into all those different things and to see what's actually interesting to you without like upending your life entirely. And what about – so speaking as somebody who lives in New York in a very blue area, of course, there are different candidates that you can support. You know, you might like somebody better than another. But if you want to have impact on races that um, are more controversial are more controversial or outside of your area, like what's the best way to get involved in a non-local way? In a non-local way. So I would follow whoever your candidate of choice is, you know, on all of their social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Most places now, most campaigns give you the ability to phone bank remotely to, you know, you could pick a weekend if it's, you know, not that far away or you have the means. You can go for a weekend and go canvassing. You can donate money. You can, again, start a fin- like start a group mm-hmm. on Facebook, I mean, or, or some other platform that's not as sketchy right now, <laughs> and and get support out and get the word out and, and, and figure out how you can have impact. But it really can be in any way. Even retweeting things that you agree with matters. Yeah. 
So one person wanted to know, and I, I agree with this person. I okay. want to know too. Will you ever return to work in politics or oh, run maybe. for office? Maybe. maybe. I don't think I'd ever run for office because I don't like being judged. And I, as much as I think I've risen above uh, – as much as I think I've risen above caring if someone said something about me, like I couldn't handle it if they said it about my mom or my dad or my husband or my sister or my cat. Yeah, being responsible for the scrutiny of yeah, like the people you Yeah, I couldn't love. do that. And I've been pretty honest about my life. You know, it's like, yeah, I smoke weed. I've done drugs, like whatever. But But even if you look at someone like Barack Obama who wrote all about it in his uh, in audacity, in dreams from my father, and audacity of hope, people still—it's like okay, well, fine. He may have done cocaine, but it, was he even born here? Like, how do you <laughs> even? Like, it's so fucking absurd. You can't—you know—people have made it like their careers to come up with absurd ways to attack people. Yeah. So I don't think I could ever run for anything. You know, for me, I was just—I was saying to you guys before we started taping that, like, I am essentially unemployed right now. And part of my struggle is that, you know, I sat home this morning. I mean, not sat home. I was steaming my cat because she has a stuffy nose. <laughs> um, but I was sitting there and I'm I'm watching people talk about, of all the things, of how uh, Betsy DeVos, our Secretary of Education, wants to zero out funding for the Special Olympics. It makes me sick. And – I just my I I really like I got like teary eyed. I'm like, is this where we are? And and my problem is that I th- I think that I have knowledge. I think that I could help someone. I don't know who it is. I would want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do think that I am leaving myself the flexibility for the future, which is why I can come uh, co-host for you guys anytime because I don't see myself taking a job anytime soon. I think that, like, I need to just wait and see. But I do think that this is the most important election of our lifetime. And so if I have something that could contribute to us winning, I would have a hard time sitting out. I felt that way about the Kavanaugh. And, you know, the other the thing that's funny is that, you know, I worked for John Kerry and we lost when we ran. And then, you know, we won both times with Obama. And I hadn't done something in a long time where I put my heart and soul into something and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And that was a real thing for me. Like I worked really hard with NARAL and Elise Hogue to combat, (laughs) to, to disrupt the nomination and confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. And in my heart, like you always have to believe that what you're fighting for is attainable, right? Mm-hmm. In my heart, I saw no way on God's earth that this man could be confirmed. And when he did, I was so depressed that I couldn't even imagine that this is what I was so depressed about that I went to my doctor and just started crying. And he's like, Alyssa, do you think this could be about Brett Kavanaugh? I like I thought I needed new medicine. I take Wellbutrin and so I thought that it wasn't working anymore. And he's like, "Alyssa, sometimes it's like you just no medicine can make you unfeel what you feel about this." And I was yeah. like, "Okay." Um, so that was hard for me. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. like that was that was uh, you know, to see someone like Dr. Blasey Ford come forward and then it didn't work and so I was like, "Well, fuck it. I'm not doing this anymore." But that's a terrible attitude. So, we'll see. There are a lot of candidates who I think have really incredible platforms and are doing great work. And so well, I I I I would imagine I'll have something to do with it. Well, that's breaking news, by the way. You I heard just, it here first. I just broke news here first. that I will probably have something to do with 2020 in some capacity somehow because 
because because what else can be as important? True. True. Well, so one thing that I'm curious to get your opinion on, and I feel like this is different than past presidential elections, that there's such a broad field and there's so mm-hmm. many Democratic so many candidates. candidates. And so, so many. So I feel you um, because I'm not thinking about working in politics, but even as I think about donating, I'm kind of like, well, well, who, who do I donate to? Yeah. When do I donate? It's very interesting. Is this but, normal? Like to have so many? No. Yeah. No. There are two things. One, one, you have a you don't have an heir apparent, right, in the Democratic sure. Party. That's one. Two, and I'm not saying this is directly related to anybody running, but Trump has set the bar so low for who could be president that people are like, let's let my freak flag fly. Now's my time. <laughs> yeah. If not now, <laughs> when? And so I think that like, I mean, I think we're what to up 18 or, or 20 people who are either have exploratory committees or have um, or have actual uh, presidential campaigns. So here's what I think. Tell us. I think that you need to find the person who really – who you really just want to put your heart and soul into. And and here are some things that I object to. One, there has been a lot of narrative, a lot of yak, yak, yak um, on cable and on Twitter especially. People being like – especially when Beto got in the race, being like, he doesn't deserve to run. He lost his Senate race. Okay. I do not abide by the word deserve, okay? Because a couple couple years ago, people would have been like, she doesn't deserve to run just because she's a she. So fuck that word. Um, I think that anybody who wants to run should run. I think that it is incumbent, like all of the chatter on Twitter is not, like so much of it isn't based in actual introspective thought. Oh, it's just an echo chamber too. It's yeah. a total. And so for me, and like I think that I'm a pretty – like astute political observer. I watched Elizabeth Warren's town hall on CNN last week or a week before, whenever it was. And I have to tell you that like I consider myself a very smart person. I was writing down all of her policies because I wanted to look them up and know more. And so a couple of things. I think if there are people who are running who have websites and the website doesn't have a policy section, that's a problem for me because I want to know what you think about certain things because there are – Issues, and this is like very controversial. I mean, not very, it shouldn't be, but you know, months ago when everything started really um, getting very heated at the border and there was a big outcry and it was like this hashtag abolish ice. And I'm like, I do think that there needs to be a bit more nuance and not so much like Twitter bait because while I think that ICE and Customs and Border Patrol should be rethought and their mission should be refreshed or maybe repurposed, people forgot that ICE was established in response to 9-11, okay? And so I think that that there's a lot of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and I don't think that that's smart. I think that, that the ultimate conclusion of some thoughtful discussion could be abolish ICE, but there are a lot of people who are running, who have either run, either ran in, in years before or who are running now, who are like kind of chasing hashtags. And so that's why I like to really go to people's policy sections and read up and see what they believe in and see if they've put the thought in like the thing that bums me out again going back to someone like Elizabeth Warren she's like 
the tortoise, right? The, in the tortoise <laughs> and yes. the hare. Like EW is like slow and steady and she refuses to capitulate. She is not going to become a different person or be less thorough because it might get her better sound bites on television. And I want to reward that. You know, like I want to learn about her policies. And then if I decide she's someone who I would want to support, I want to help her, you know, like spread the word. And so yeah. for me, I think that like you just really – nobody should think that they should know who their person is. If you know who your person is right now, that's great. But still have an open mind. Listen to what yeah. other people are saying because when it gets – you know, what we can't have again is this – is what happened in 2016, which was like Bernie bro camp, Hillary camp. Even when it was – the primary was over and Hillary was the nominee, there wasn't enough um, unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah on either side of people really coming together. And the truth is, if you think about it, and this is the cautionary tale for everybody, if Team Clinton had just hugged Bernie tight, and if Bernie had stood up, and I'm not saying he didn't, I'm just saying that the platforms or the opportunities were not such were such that people didn't take note of them, is that he should have just told everyone, if you voted for me, you must vote for her. Like the alternative is not viable. Right. And so I just don't – I will never be a part of any – Anything that that's, that gets us into that place. I only want to be – like, if I'm going to help someone, I'm going to help them. I'm not going to shit talk other people. I just think that that's the bad. It's like in some ways people – last night, Cory Booker was doing his town hall. And the first question they asked him is like, well, Cory – which I'm not going to lie. I had thought the same in my head. It's like you talk about love and peace and like how is that a platform? And he was like, well, is hate and anger a better platform? <laughs> and I was like, you know Fair. what? copy that like okay and but but that's why we have to listen to people Mm -hmm. and that's why as tedious as it can be listening to the town halls and the and the um the town halls that they're doing on cnn and msnbc but then also the democratic debates um they're going to start in uh, end of june i think or republican well like not republican because like donald trump's probably going to be your person i don't want to alienate any of your listeners but if you are a democrat Watch those debates. See who stands up. Whoever would have thought this could be a fluke. It could be, it could be the future. But like Mayor Pete went from like zero point zero percent to number three in the Des Moines Register poll in Iowa. And the Des Moines Register poll is usually it's quite a indicator. It's it's right. it's not a it's not a garbage poll. And so I didn't realize that I didn't did. either. He was at number three. And his book today was back on the New York Times bestseller list because people are super into Mayor Pete. Now, he is someone, the more you read about him, it is hard to not be more and more interested. It truly is. It's it's like, wait a minute. So he's gay, married, has a dog who's very cute and blind, apparently. Um, He is a war vet. He's an Afghan vet. He was a mayor. I mean, he speaks multiple languages. And the thing about him is that when you see last week, people in South Bend started tweeting out stories about him as I've mayor. Seen some of them. And they're, they're incredible. The man they're has so a heartwarming. Heart. It's like, it's like, it's like the Grinch took his heart and that's what made him explode. Mm-hmm. Like, because he, he is just such a good person. And so, 
And the other lesson for New Yorkers that I always point to is that even if you think someone can't win, that doesn't mean that they can't change the debate. True. And so I was a huge advocate of and, and supporter of Cynthia Nixon and all of some of my real political my more political hack friends, like, you know, people who I don't necessarily run around with all the time, they're like, oh, Alyssa, she could never win. And I'm like, but is that the point? She's changing the debate in New York. Like, she's yeah. changing how people talk about things. And so, you know, like, there's nothing but upside from that. And so that's another thing to remember, that even if you think someone can't be the nominee, that doesn't mean that they don't have a lot to add. So when do we expect that – the race starts to narrow, mm. that we see fewer candidates. January. January? January. It'll okay. be – well, because there are so many candidates, the interesting thing that you raised earlier was like the money. Like when do I give? So think about this. We're at the end of March. In a few days, maybe weeks, the fundraising numbers for candidates first quarter will come out. And my prediction is that if you take everybody's numbers rolled up, they won't have raised what Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama raised individually in the first quarter of 2007. And that is because the Democratic base is a somewhat finite group of people. And so back then, in 07, you had Hillary, you had Obama, you had John Edwards, who was very viable uh, going into Iowa, for the, the year going into Iowa. And then you had a couple other people Actually, Joe Biden, uh, Chris Dodd, you know, people who were not as uh, – there was a real delta between mm -hmm. the top tier and everybody else. So campaigns are going to be very different because they none of them will have as much money as Obama or Hillary right. had in 07. So I think that you were – you know, Hillary's number I think was $31 million. I think our number was about $27 million the first quarter. I think that most of the candidates that you see will come in under five. That's my guess, except for Beto and Bernie. And you um, mean – And it'll be interesting to see if their grassroots numbers maintain at the same yeah. level or if there's a big drop-off, if people are just excited that they got in and they gave on that day or if it's a number that – if it perpetuates. And you need to have raised a certain amount in the first quarter in order to be eligible to so be part of the debates, correct? To get into the first debate, you have to – I don't know. There's not a number. You have to have 65,000 unique – donors. Okay. And there's a grassroots a, a percentage of it needs to be grassroots. Mm -hmm. Like a percentage of your number needs to be to show that a preponderance of your money is from grassroots fundraising. So, it will be interesting. I know that uh Mayor Pete has cleared the 65,000 number. Um oh, and I I mm, I would have to double check. I think you may have to have donations from all 50 states. I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's true. So because at one point I was like, why is everyone announcing that they got donations from all 50 states? Like, who cares? <laughs> but then I, I saw the, the, the DNC and I think that's why. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Also, another thing is if you're in the Midwest, the convention, something else to think about, the convention will be in Milwaukee. I'm so excited about it being in Milwaukee. And, you know, just think about all the different ways that you can be engaged in that too. Mm -hmm. Like just start reaching out to the DNC and seeing – because all that stuff starts ramping up sooner than you would think. So that's another fun opportunity that's a finite period of time if you can take a break from work, like a leave of absence or something, that you can go and participate in that. And that's super fun. You're like making me want to – I know. You're like, making me Put wanna... all my clients on hold and go yeah. to Milwaukee. I mean, not yet. <laughs> just, just do research. Do research yeah. into what it would be like to go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Are you able to share so far any top picks for 2020? Okay, who do I like a lot? Well, like, so I really enjoy, um, I really enjoy Mayor Pete. Um, just because I think that someone who's working as hard as he is, not just like the hustle is just like a 360 and yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. And the fact that we've all learned so much in just a few months, I'm interested, like, is he going to flame out mm-hmm. or is there so much more for us to learn? I think Elizabeth Warren is like, I mean, I think she's so smart and I just, you know, people, people talk about likability and I was like, no, dude, she's like so, did you guys see the TMZ video of her running through Penn Station? No. No. Oh, you guys, it's the best. Anyone listening, Google Elizabeth Warren and TMZ because there's a TMZ reporter outside of Penn Station. You guys have been there. It's a shit show. Yeah. She is hauling ass to make her train. First of all, Elizabeth Warren taking the train. Just want to put yeah. that out there. She is not wasting anybody's money who is donating to her. Um, a point that I felt, I was like, oh my God, if I gave money to her, okay, I'm not going to lie. I literally, after I saw that video, I bought a t-shirt because I wanted to make some donation because I was so stoked that she was like running and taking the train. But so she books it, runs down, they're literally calling her train to start boarding. Like they thought that they, that, I guess the train must have been a little late. And so she like takes a breath and she was so like not she was she didn't want to be rude so she told the reporter she had a minute and called him over and he did this interview on his iPhone with her at Penn Station where she talked about her couple of days traveling i need to see that you oh my have god to. this is it's amazing so wonderful and so someone like i mean like so yeah so i'm i'm into learning i want to see how she does um i think like Kirsten Gillibrand has been such an advocate for women um Back when it wasn't popular, I just think that she has so much to offer. So I want to see more. I also think that we want we need to see as like things move on. Like, is the Beto flame like? Does it? Does he? Does it? Is it ignited further? Is there really? Is he really like the next Barack Obama? Which I have. I can't say. Everyone says, but I'm like, no one's the next Barack Obama. <laughs> um, and then also, I love Kamala. I mean, like. Honestly, they're all very good people, and having worked in politics for a long time, I've come across uh, pass cross paths with them all at some point or another. Um, and like Kamala, like I just she's the person who can prosecute the case, you know. Though I do have to give a shout out to the one person who's not running that I'm obsessed with, and I want everyone to follow her, Maisie Hirono. Maisie Hirono is a U.S. Senator from Hawaii. She is the spirit of aloha at all times, and she's such a fucking badass. She's Buddhist, and she's an immigrant, so she can't run for president. Uh, she's, Jap- she, uh, she's Japanese, I think. But she is on TV. She tells the straight truth, and if you actually go back to the Kavanaugh hearings, she is the person – I think that she was one of the best people who questioned him. She's just no shit. And she works so hard, and she's been like battling cancer this whole time, and you would never know it. So I just think that she's – a baller, and I love her. Oh wow, mm-hmm. she's not even on my radar. Yeah, now she my, is. Now she yeah. is. See, now you're gonna she is. you're gonna love her. And she said she was the one who said bullshit on MSNBC because she got so mad. She goes, it's just it's just bullshit. <laughs> like I love you, Maisie, so much so that I email her communications director on the reg when I see her on TV. I was like, please tell Maisie that I thought she was so good and that you should send those talking points around because she's the only one making the point clearly. Like, I love her. <laughs> So yeah, follow Maisie Hirono. Okay. I'm, I'm going to. Her. So let's switch gears. And we have some general questions about work. Not okay. your work. Just but work generally. Just work, work generally. Okay. Yeah. 
So I feel like you must have some experience in this. How do you stay calm in stressful or high pressure situations? Are you good under? You must be good under pressure. I'm pretty good under pressure. I think that you have to remain, you have to focus. Mm -hmm. Okay. So sometimes when, for me, the one thing that was great about my job and the people I worked with is that we were all very much focused on our direct and discreet responsibilities. We weren't trying to be what the do what the other person was doing or get in on what they were doing. But a lot of times there would be something and I would say, okay, so here's a good example. And this is yeah, this is a good example. Uh the first day that I became that I assumed all the responsibilities as White House Deputy Chief of Staff was a day when there were riots in Cairo. And I got an email that said there were a group of citizens, AMSITs, American citizens, uh, from Schaumburg, Illinois, who needed to be evacuated from Cairo. And immediately my heart starts to race because I don't know what the fuck to do. And I was like, Alyssa, focus. And I made a list of the questions I had. And so I – The secret is lists. It's, I'm sorry, yeah, it's always it's all lists. About lists. Because you know what? It's like if you just sit there, you can induce a panic in yourself. Like, yeah. and so by making the list, everything seems manageable when it's on paper. It really does. It at least, and so I made the list. How many people? Where are they? How do I get a plane? Like, how do I? And so I just went one by one. I replied to the person. How many people are there? Then I was like, okay, how do I get a plane? So I emailed a person who I thought might know how I got a plane. And lo and behold, by the next morning, those people had been evacuated from Cairo. And that does not make me a superstar. It makes me someone very good at making a list and following through. So you have to be – like, so if I – the thing you always have to remember is that, like, in some ways, panic is selfish <laughs> because you're taught – you're thinking about you. You're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. No, 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 no. You got to focus. It is not about you. It is about getting the job done. And so that's why organizing your thoughts to me is the most important way. And also for me, I always had um, – I would always have people coming in and asking me questions when something really intense was happening. And that would help me – that would make me panic because I would be pulling my focus away from what I was doing to answer questions. So I took a minute and I was like, okay, how can I make this end? And so I sent an email out to all of the people who I needed to give updates to. And I said, I will give updates every 45 minutes. Please don't come and ask me questions in between so I can get all the information to give you a fulsome update in 45 minutes. Changed the That's way we so did smart. business. Right. And so that worked in a lot of ways. It was when we were working on things like, you know, Hurricane Sandy, when things were changing by the minute, Barack Obama was not in the White House. I mean, obviously, it's like, you know, we were – uh, Sandy made landfall in Puerto Rico. My God, October 25th. That is how crazy things That's get. That's burned like, in your you brain. you remember, it's burned in my brain. And so we knew and you had to take it step by step. It was like, okay, it's in, it's in Puerto Rico. It's going to come up the coast. How can we do like pre-landfall declarations for places? How do we gird New York? Even if it's not going to be as bad as they say, maybe we should still. And it all came down for me to list. And I had a list that was day by day. And then I had one that was region by region. And I just kept them clean. I kept them updated. And, you know, I think that we were able to give people all the information that they needed as things were happening and also make sure things weren't as bad as they could have been. So lists. 
Lists. Lists. I love that Sorry, advice. it's true. Lists and also when you're panicking, if it's because you're in charge of something, you just got to own it. You can't sit there and wait for people. You have to set the course that you want. So for me, it was like, it would be like calling a meeting right away saying, okay, guys, here's the sit rep, the situation report. Uh, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Uh, I'll update you as we have it. Please don't reach out to other people. We need all information coming in through a point. Like I really had to take ownership. And the truth is that – and Hurricane Sandy is such a good example because it was a really diffuse um, – it was crazy because it was weeks before the 2012 elections. And so we had a president who needed to campaign still. We had a president who wouldn't campaign if he thought there were people in harm's way. He needed to know that things were happening. And there were so many things at any given minute. And Valerie Jarrett, when she was here in New York, um, she brought up a story that I had forgotten, which was that one day I went into the senior staff meeting and I knew that I was going to sink or swim. I was either going to be a huge success or I was going to get fired. Like there was no real in-between when you're dealing oh with a, a hurricane <laughs> yeah. that's dealing with like the the greatest metropolitan, the most populated sure, sure. metropolitan area in the country. And I came in and I was like, uh, so guys, there's this thing called the Northeast Reserve. And I just authorized like a, a billion dollars of oil and gas. And they were like, okay. And I'm like, I don't know. And so then <laughs> I did that. And then all of a sudden people were like, well, how are we going to get – the gas to where it needs to go. And I was like, okay. And then I went to the Department Next of up. Defense. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, can we get trucks? And they're like, well, we don't have trucks. I'm like, well, can we get other oil companies and gas companies from places that aren't affected to drive theirs to pick it up and take it where we need it? And they were like, yes. Then everybody's full of gas and oil, taking it where they need to go, get to the gas stations. And they're like, we can't put it in because the generators weren't working and you can't fill it. And I was like, okay. Can we get all the generators from every place that's not affected to these gas stations so we can get – and the truth is it wasn't perfect, but we did it. Alyssa, I feel stressed. I feel not stressed Not having too. lived this yeah. cr- in I your mean, shoes. It is, but the, but the truth is, is that like I just had to take each problem yes. as it came. Just, yeah. And, and, and the point is that my advice or my example is not for someone who is work. It is applicable – soup to nuts. It is applicable all the way down to the to when I was the bagger at Kilmer's IGA on double coupon day, which was also the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And my mom line, also burned in your brain. I mean, it was crazy. And but everyone and of course I was the best bagger because my bags were always symmetrically packed. Like it was I was very good. And everyone wanted to be on my line and everybody had their coupons and I was like and I was 16 or 17, 16 I think. And that's panic-inducing, all these people, and you don't want to p- keep people waiting. And I was like, you just got to keep your head down because if you panic, it's like you're just going to fuck up and p- you're going to mess up the coupons. And so I just – just steady as she goes. See? Soup to nuts. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I do feel vindicated as a list maker that that's part of yeah, the success. I but It I, must happen. I cannot say that I would handle my shit as well. Yeah, you would. That that's the thing. I never thought I would handle it as well. You You always rise to the occasion. People should remember that. You always rise to the That's true. Like the adrenaline in the moment. Of course. Yeah. So another work question we got was that in your first book, you raised some really interesting points about knowing when to leave a role. Yeah. um, Even if you don't feel like you're ready. Mm -hmm. How did how did you know that it was your time to leave the White House? So you always have to think about like, what are my core responsibilities every day? And when you start to hate your core responsibilities... You're not the only one who notices that you hate them, okay? And so 
What I didn't want to do, I loved working in the White House, the greatest privilege I will probably ever have. But it is not, uh, it's not about my ego. It's about the American people and Barack Obama. And they deserve to have the person who was operating at 150% when I was more at like 105 to 95, basically. And so there's a certain like selflessness, I guess, but it's also, it's more, no, it's self-awareness. Yeah. And the, the, the more tired, I was exhausted. I mean, I had all sorts of like weird health problems from fatigue and not sleeping and dental problems, for God's sake. I was such a mess. And at a certain point, you're just like, you know what, like, Someone else deserves to have the experience that I'm having right now. And it was very hard. And the first time I told the president that I was going to leave, he's like, you just need a vacation. And he wasn't meaning it in a in a dismissive way. He's like, you deserve, like you haven't had any time. And what what happened? He told me that I should take a vacation. Oh, right. And then I think that the government was going to – um Oh my, it was the, uh, this is weirdly esoteric. I think there was a financial cliff. Like we were going to hit our borrow, li- borrowing limit in the government. And so what happened is that instead of getting a vacation, I had to go with Barack Obama to Hawaii, which sounds like a vacation, but isn't because you're working. And while we were dealing with him having to deal with Congress and, and having to fly back and forth between Hawaii and, and Washington, D.C., we're also confirming uh, Chuck Hagel to be Secretary of Defense. And the truth is that nothing waits for you. So my conference calls about Chuck Hagel were 10 a.m. Eastern, 4 a.m. Hawaii time. So cool vacation. That was like supposed to be my time when I like refreshed myself. Oh. And it was basically, so that was 2012. I don't remember. I can't even remember. See, at this part I can't remember because it all starts getting a little bit fuzzy. But I basically – I thought that he deserved someone – you know, like part of my idea was that I made – part of my job is that I made 20, 10, 20, 40, 50 decisions a day. And I also had to come up with tons of ideas or at least collaborate with people to come up with ideas about how we would express the president's priorities. And so when you become the person, which interestingly goes to the title of my book – when you become the person who sits there and is like, and people are trying, like they're coming up with ideas and you're like, yeah, we did that four years ago. It didn't work. Uh, yeah, we did that a year ago. We can't do it again. Um, you become like the good idea goalie so, and you keep all the good ideas out. I was going to ask you about that because – so that is the part of your book that stuck with me the most. And I actually left my my full-time job um, at the end of May and that's kind of how I'd gotten to feel. And when you said that in your book, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. This is me. I yes. feel that way when I left Bobble Bar. Yeah, where it was like, yeah, you're the totally person, jobs, everyone's but brainstorming. No, no, but that's, it's, I, you yeah. become the no police. Yes. And so when you become that person, no one wants to work with you. No one's going to invite you to meetings because you just have a fucking shitty attitude and you're just, and when you tell people their ideas are bad, it's very hard for them to not think they're bad. Right? And yeah. so, which in the very beginning, years and years ago, was how I started saying unwittingly at the time, like, so here's the thing. Because what I would want to do is in a in a table in a room of people, like, I mean, not all ideas are going to be good. But I wanted to always try to take out the good parts of an idea. So someone would offer something and I'd be like, well, so here's the thing. This part, not sure it works, but let's focus on this, on this kernel of your idea and see what we can do with it. And like by the time I got to the end, there was no so here's the thing. It was like, yeah, no, that's terrible. <laughs> and 
I didn't want to leave the job after having such a glorious and meaningful experience. I didn't want it to be like, you know, the 7 a.m. meeting is starting and at 6.55 people are around the table being like, fuck, Alyssa's been in such a fucking shit mood. Like, what's wrong with her? Pfeiffer, go talk to her, which is usually what would happen if either Pfeiffer or I were in a bad mood. People would be like, um, Alyssa, how's Pfeiffer? Have you, like, checked in with him today? And I was like, he was fine to me. (laughs) Which is how it would go. And he would always very gingerly be like, so, Liz, people in the meeting were noticing that you were – I go, oh, what, that I had a face on? That's always – for a woman, it's always the thing. I had a face on. And so th- that apparently I was – instead of just thinking, I have I have cramps today. I have my period and I don't feel great. People would always be like, oh, is Alyssa mad? And so by the time we got to like that point, I was like, I want to leave when people still think I'm dope and not yeah. and not when people are like, fuck, thank God she's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how we all should leave our jobs. And it's okay to be honest with your boss, you I, know. I think that's such good advice. It's easier said than done sometimes. Like you have to get past it and then you're like, I should have left six months ago. Right. And then you're like, I should definitely go now. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like when you've had that, that yes. metamorphosis. Yes. Um, so one of the other questions we got for you was, um, I'm really interested in this, what's the best or most constructive piece of professional feedback you've ever received? Not to be so sensitive. Okay. I am. And it's, it's in, when I say it, sometimes women are like, man, people only say that to women. No, it is, it is a critique of me that is completely reasonable. In that when I would be the one taking in other people's ideas and thinking that because I edited something they said that it wasn't personal. I can feel very personally attacked when someone tries to edit my idea, which I have in many ways been broken of by writing two books. You cannot not get feedback when – Right. Nobody's like, this is perfect. You're a genius. No. Though luckily for me, my co-writer, Lauren Euler, is one of the most brilliant people. So I will say that our feedback was very minimal. But that was mostly because of her and she's just superb. And so they'd be like, wow, we don't even have to edit this. But like the outlines and stuff. Sure, sure. And the person who I actually took a ton of feedback from was Lauren because – I would tell a story or write a story down and, you know, she'd be like, you know what? Like, no one's going to care about this. And fine. You know, I've gotten to the point where I can say fine. But before I would get, you know, really, if someone disagreed with me about something I cared a lot about, I could get really, you know, my face would get red and my my eyes would focus down at the table or like out the window, which is such a sign. And and that's and I would just be very sensitive instead of I don't know why I took feedback differently than I intended it when I gave it to other people but I did and so uh, they Pfeiffer specifically and and uh, Pete Rouse uh, who was my boss in this in the Obama Senate office he went, God damn it you need to stop and like he was right that's and so that was my that was my best feedback I ever got. I love that. Yeah. I need to be less sensitive too. Even just like small things. You just got to roll with it. It's fine. Who cares? And also, who cares if someone doesn't like your idea? It doesn't mean it's bad. I know. It means it's not right for the moment potentially. Yeah. So our next question is, what is your best advice for women in positions of leadership, especially in the male-dominated careers? For women in positions of leadership in male-dominated careers. So – I would say that one of the most important things is to still be yourself. And it is 
I'm not saying it to promote my book. I'm saying it as something I've learned the hard way is that if, is that if you're, if one of your responsibilities as a woman, as a woman in leadership is to in some way, shape or form be, if not a role model, but someone that younger women in the company look to, right? If they look at someone who feels they have to conform and do, I'm using air quotes that your listeners can't see, and like do what a man would do or act like a man would act, people want to be in companies and in places where they see themselves reflected in the leadership, which is why I wrote the first book, because I wanted young people, young women specifically, to see that you can nearly shit your pants and still work in the White House. (laughs) You can get your entire – you could survive um, on an entire wardrobe of J. Crew tippy sweaters and skirts and CC ballet that. flats, yeah. which is all I wore. I mean, I had – I was the queen of like block coloring. It was like green sweater, blue skirt, orange CC flats. And I wasn't in a suit. I didn't have pantyhose on. And, you know, it took me a little while to get there, not because of me so much, it's because I didn't want people thinking that Barack Obama had hired like these wily coyotes to come work in the West Wing. But when I when I got there and I was in a position where I was one of the most senior people uh, in the White House, I did want to be me. And he was fine with that. And so I, I wanted people and women to see that like public service is for everybody. Working in the White House is for everybody. Like it's, it's, you know, whether you're working in a bank, whether you are a teacher, like anything, I think just like model, you model by being you. And I think that's important. I think that's really, really good advice. Thanks. So we started our podcast originally about books. Mm-hmm. So you like can't get out of this without talking about your book, about other books. Like you need to be into the books. Of course. I want to know how your book kind of came to fruition. Somebody asked, did it need to be vetted by the White House? Mine did not. Oh, it didn't. It did not. However, I, because I was someone who was involved in vetting other people's books, I was very aware of what my book could not contain. Okay. So you followed the rules. I followed the rules. There was no, uh, there's no classified information in my book. There was nothing like that. And I, and I was, I was very careful to never characterize how anybody else felt about something. Mm -hmm. It was my story and I didn't want to tell other people's stories. Um, Books that came out, the other thing was that my book technically came out after the Obama administration had ended. Okay. So it's a different – it was a different standard. If it had come out during the administration, I think the lawyers would have had – the White House Counsel's Office would have had to read it and make sure it was fine. Do you read fiction? And um, what are some of your favorite books? (laughs) Oh, my God, you guys. So I have not read much fiction – in a while. Yeah. Um, mostly if I'm being honest because Twitter has singed my brain. Okay. And I mean it's true and I've I've really started doing less and less and I have so many books. I have read so much nonfiction that I do need more fiction in my life, but we'll have to send you a care package of like yeah. trash books. Okay, yeah. please because okay guys. I think so, we need to send her the selection. Yeah. Okay. It's like the bachelor in a dystopian future. That's, 
that is what I need. Great. That great. is that is we have some wrecks for you. Yeah, that is what I need. But last night, true story, I did order so one of my self cares, because I mean we all know like people talk about self care and it's a lot of times this like bougie bullshit that nobody can really afford. <laughs> yes. So my self care has been um me and my one of my BFFs, Leah, have started watching Little House on the Prairie from the beginning. Oh. Okay. And we have we went down the rabbit hole. Like last night I was like, should we post our text messages right now? Because they're so fucking funny. But we were going back and forth. We got like, you know, Melissa Gilbert and Mary. So basically like their characters, which people would recognize. So like Laura and Nellie were actually best friends in real life, but everybody hated Mary. And there was no chemistry between Laura and Almanzo. It was like a problem. So anyway, we went down the rabbit hole and I just, uh, I just ordered the Allison Angram bio or her biography which is like being the bitch on the prairie because she was oh my god oh my god so i have because normally you know especially when you write a book everybody sends you their books to read and because mine was uh memoir slash advice most of the stuff i get is nonfiction. but this is my tiptoe back in okay because i want to hear about life on the prairie and like pa ingles apparently knew he was so hot that he would like the like direct scene so that his shirt would be off. I mean, oh. I can't wait for my book to come. I texted Leah. I was like, by the way, I just I ordered both book. I ordered us both a book because we're gonna want to read them like together. IRL. That's something I do. I'm like, yeah. I want. I don't want to be in this alone. No, you're reading. Yeah. It with you're me. reading it with me. So that's what we're yeah. gonna do. Wait, how much Little House on the Prairie is there? Nine seasons. Oh my god. Oh my yeah. god. Wow. And I take them nice and slow. And the worst is that like when I watched it when I was growing up, I remember my mom being like, it's very religious. Okay, there's nothing religious about it as I watch it now. And episodes just straight up make me cry. And I'm like, Mr. Edwards was so misunderstood. Like, (laughs) there's so much to him. I just, oh, my God. And like, and we text each other when we're watching different. I'm like, you're too far ahead. You're in season two already. And so that has been my, uh, that has been my escape. And we're like, we may start our own like blog or something. Please do. Because we want to do a couple old series and watch them and see how we feel about them now. I feel like it could be a great instagram even for people like don't I think you that think was a viral because we we were talking about like family ties like family ties does not age well but somehow little house on the prairie is like it's like it's like a hot toddy for the soul You're I want your like, I want your future Instagram handle to be White House on the Prairie <gasps> and I want oh my all God. of your lock that handle all down of your now colleagues to like White come House on the Prairie come opine watch an episode with yeah. you and like give well, their thoughts because you need to lock that handle down okay now guys before. so you just. I'm doing it today because here's the other thing that not a lot of people know is that Dan Pfeiffer, my ride or die, mm-hmm. has also watched many of these shows. So he is a 90210 aficionado. Me too. Me too. He, yeah, me too. And also he knows a lot about the Gilmore Girls. Oh, I love and that. so if you read our tweets back and forth, so I was also on top of Little House. I've really gone back to some Gilmore Girls. And I tweeted about <laughs> – <laughs> Logan Huntsberger's father. I saw that and last five night tweets, or this morning. Five tweets back, and he's like Jess, Dean, or Logan. And I and people were like, "Oh my god, Dan Fiver knows about Gilmore Girls." <laughs> so I think people would be surprised at the depth and breadth of our knowledge. So White House on the Prairie is going to happen. Do it. It's you no. Know, it. It's going to happen. Do it. It's going to happen. And you guys will you have to be contributors Great. because Great. you just came up with the idea. Great. It's going to be insane. I'm going to have to start. I think that's going to be my next show I binge watch. Great. It's, yeah. it's really something. It's it's that. oddly special. Well, wait. So one of the questions we got was if you 
had time to read during your time in the White House. I did. Oh, you did? I did. Okay. Oh, I was oh, well, so yeah. I'd love to know what you read, but I'd also love to know like what were the things that helped you decompress? They were the same. Oh, okay. Tell me. So the and it is and it is really like special because one of well, the books I read all of Chelsea Handler's books. Okay. I watched love her show. Her. Are you there vodka? Are you there vodka? It's me, Chelsea was one was one of the two books that I carried with me almost all the time because when like you know how you get a book and you love it so much that you can read it and it's okay if it puts you to sleep Mm -hmm. because it's like your bible and you just have it and it's fine so are you there vodka it's me Chelsea was one of those books and so was um Mindy both of Mindy Kaling's books okay and you're now friends with both of them, I believe. Yes. So, so Chelsea is like one of my dearest friends. Like she's one of the most – talk about – she's like one of the most generous, kind people like on the planet. And when I was out in LA, she's like, stay at my house so we can Instagram story about your book. And I was like, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. Aww. So her book um, – and it's so funny because I was introduced to her show by my father back in the day. He's like, oh. you should really watch this Chelsea Handler woman when she was on E. Yeah. She's very funny. And I was introduced to her because when she had her Netflix show, she uh, worked with a woman, Emily Black, who is my friend, who is now Emily Black Favreau, married mm-hmm. to John Favreau. Um, but I always like to dis- like differentiate because Emily is my friend. She's not John's wife. But just to put it all in perspective. Okay. And so she worked with M, and and she said to her, she's like, there has to be a woman who can talk about politics in a way that's like smart and funny because I'm tired of having men on all the time. So Emily introduced me to Chelsea, and that's how we became friends. Ah. And so I was on the show a couple times, and so she's she's great. And then um, and then Mindy's book. This is actually funny because when I had finished reading Mindy's second book. I was with Barack Obama and we were at the Waldorf Hotel here in New York and someone came in and said, oh, you won't believe it. Mindy Kaling is here. And I was like, no. (laughs) And Barack Obama was like, what's going on? And I was like, um, do you even understand? And I pulled her book out of my bag and it was like, it was the, it was the paperback and I had written notes in it and I had highlighted things. The back couple of pages I had written like inspirational things that I felt, I basically used it as my diary. And he was, and I showed it to him and like, if you don't, if you hadn't seen it before, you're like, wow, those are like the musings of a madman. And so he was like, well, let's get her back here. And so he's like, go tell Mindy I would love to meet her. And so, but it was all like, one, he did want to meet her, but it was all a bit of a ruse so that I could meet her. I'm sorry, if I got that message, I would think that I was being punked. Right, no. And yeah. he's like, and so she came back and they said hi. And then she and I talked for like 45 minutes. And when I finished writing my first book, I sent it to her and she offered to blurb it because she liked it. And then when it came out, we actually have uh, like a development deal that they're working on, like making the book into something on screen-ish. And Mindy's involved. Maybe, yes. Kaling Productions. Oh my God, that's amazing. Oh my God, I have I didn't know that. I'm so excited about she, this Yeah, you. it was actually, we announced it in, you know, everything takes so long that people right. forget. But no, we, we we announced it like a week or two after the first book came out. Okay, okay. But that's, and so it's still, it's still in the works. So you're an unemployed lady with a lot of irons in the fire. I'm an unemployed, yeah. <laughs> okay, yes, yeah. that's true. I'm an unemployed lady who's very busy doing things that don't pay. <laughs> And is about to have her successful smash podcast slash Instagram White House on the Prairie. White House on the Prairie, you guys. I just, I really feel like I I have something to do now. Great. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Great. Wait till you see. I can't wait. So the last question we have. Yes. 
how realistic is DC politics on shows like Scandal or The West Wing? Having watched them both very avidly multiple times. Okay. I hope it's very similar. So (laughs) I'm going to break them all down for you. Okay, please. Okay, so the one that's weirdly the most accurate is Veep. Oh, okay. 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 Like, I like, don't watch Veep. Because so. here's the problem. Oh, you should go back from the beginning and okay. watch Veep. Oh, it's so funny. Because true story, JLD, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, the, the HBO had some access to the White House because it was filmed when we were there. Um, so when you're me and you watch these shows, I look for the technical things. Okay. Mm. Like how close one, how do the storylines track, but then also like how do they actually get it right? Like yeah. does the mm-hmm. Air Force One look like it should look? Okay. Does the White House look how sh- look how it should look? So I think Veep is like really well done. The West Wing, I love. You know, people used to always ask me if I was Donna. <laughs> And I was like, no, I was Josh. But she was the woman, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like she was – she and CJ Craig and uh, Nancy – what's her name? What's her last name? Nancy McNally. She Nancy McNally was the national security advisor. CJ Craig was the press secretary. And Donna was like the prominent was assistant. like the assistant. Yeah. But not to the president. Like she was just an assistant. She was Josh's yeah. assistant. And so – Oh, my gosh. That's So funny. the West Wing, the stories – the legislative language, the processes that they talk about, highly accurate. Okay. The West Wing is not dark like they make it seem. It like, did like seem dim, so dark. Like literally dim. And no, we had plenty of light. I wasn't sure if it was just because it was an older, mo- <laughs> no. older series. No, we had plenty of light. And also, um, it was not – there wasn't like those those hubs. Like, you know, they'd always show like the people in the pit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no pit in the West Wing. I mean, the West Wing also made it seem like there were about five people who worked in the White House. Five people yeah. who worked there, all men, and that they were always walking fast. Well, that's the Aaron Sorkin I special. Did, I know, but I just, I'm just i just here to say on occasion – Not a lot of walking On talks? occasion, we hustled. For the most part, we just walked at a normal pace. <laughs> um, scandal, like not even remotely in the orbit of like – I mean, that was yeah. – Fair. Real fiction. But it's very funny because we still loved it and we still watched it. There yeah. were three shows, three shows that we talked about routinely on Monday mornings or Friday mornings. Girls, Veep, and Scandal. Okay. We have very similar – I have very similar Yeah, I mean, I think I should whoever work you were talking about. That was – I mean, like the Monday morning after on Girls, remember when Hannah Horvath for real, for real gets her OCD going and there's that scene with the Q-tips? Mm-hmm. Right. So Kathy Rumler, who was the president's lawyer, who is so genius. I always have to shout out my girl, Kath, because she delivered the closing arguments in the Enron case and all at 35 – and the reporters only reported on the fact she wore pink shoes, right? But Kath, oh is like, Kath is like literally one of the smartest women to ever walk the planet. She and Dan Pfeiffer, before our morning meeting, would come in. And we all came in that morning and they were like, fuck. That was like fucking real. That was a crazy lesson. I'm like, stop talking. I had to turn it off. I had to turn it off. I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch. They're like, no. Like it was fucking gross. And I was like, but that was – and then like sometimes when Scandal – you know, on Friday mornings, we'd come in and Valerie Jarrett and Tina Chen were my like scandal ride or dies. Okay. 
And we'd come in and be like, I'd be like, did you guys watch last night? And Tina would be like, no, don't say anything. It's on my DVR. <laughs> and I'd be like, all right, Tina, we're muting you. I'm like, BJ, did you watch it? And she'd This be like, was literally us and Jackie at Bolivar. Yeah. Not no, this was in politics. But. This was us. And and I'd be like, I'd be like, it was so bloody. Like, I don't know if I can watch anymore. Like, I can't with Huck and the drill. And she's just like, <laughs> and that was that was our like, that was our thing. And so, but the thing about scandal is that one of my best girlfriends also in the White House, who was my deputy for years, Danielle, she and I, when Scandal first came out, would just email because we didn't text because our phones were not text enabled in the White House. So we would email back and forth about Scandal. And her husband, Tally, he was not her husband at the time, he was her boyfriend. He's like, here's the deal, okay? If you two can't watch the show and just suspend belief, then like you're just not going to be able to watch. Like I can't be in the room when you guys because because in one of the first scenes, Fitz gets Olivia. He says he says get a secure line, and then he calls Olivia on a cell phone. Well, that's fucking garbage. A secure call is not like the White House to a cell phone. And so she and I were going off on it and her husband was like, I can't. We may have actually been on the phone for that one because we were so outraged by how wrong it was. That's so funny. And he was like, "That I can't. You guys have to just – it's just a television show. It's not your jobs. Like just don't pretend like it is. And we're like, okay. So that's sort of the that's the that's the gambit of the White House shows. So in no way correct, but you still appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. We still okay. We still yeah. watch it every day. I'm I mean every okay. week. I'm into that. Yeah. So on our podcast, we every week have a desperation minute where we beg for reviews. But okay. you've earned your own desperation minute. Like yeah. what can people do for you? Where do they follow you? Oh, what do you want them to yeah. support? Yeah. Oh, okay. So a couple things. Please follow at NARAL because okay. a lot is happening. You know, a lot of the chaos and the – the broken Twitter chatter is masking really bad things that are happening in the country. And so to stay informed about what's happening, I'm assuming most of your listeners are women. I'm just going to go out on a limb. 99.9%. And so if you want to keep up with what's happening in your uterus and your body and how your rights may or may not be taken away, you should follow NARAL because they're doing a good job of breaking it down. Can you spell that? Just yes. Oh, it's at N-A-R-A-L. Perfect. NARAL. Um, I am at Alyssa Mastro 44 on Twitter. Okay. And at Mastro175 on Instagram. I am private, but I do once a week go through and accept people who don't look to be bots or sex or like, like okay. weird So you can sex get in. Things. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure. I always tag you when I talk yeah, about you. Yeah, that's the easiest way. But if I'm, you tag me, then I can like see you and accept you. Yeah, but I I'm just s- never know. I'm still, my hubs is like Trey private. And so oh, I oh. have to seek Insta approval to ever post him okay Mm -hmm. and so since he feels that way i like to be able to say that i sort of somehow have vetted the people who are on my account and then i think that's it i'm not on facebook or anything else and buy her book please buy her book buy her book buy my book and then once you what's the second book called the second book is called so here's the thing and i am very proud of it it's like hard to say that, you know, sometimes, but I'm very proud of it. And once you buy it and you read it, then pass it on to someone else who will love it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alyssa, we can't thank you enough for being on. Guys, this has oh, been so the amazing. most fun. I'm so we glad had it was so, so much fun, fun for us. Oh, yay! Yeah. So All right, fun. sorry I squealed. Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. That's a sign of a good interview. Yeah. Okay, exactly. great. Look, and I finished my whole glass of water, so oh. now I can just have wine. Perfect. Now we're going to find Tyrion so he can come meet you. Yes. Bye. 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 Grace, how amazing is Alyssa? I can't, like, I can't even handle that last episode. Like, 
This was one of my favorite, favorite episodes to date. And she's just so, I mean, the things she was talking about, but she's so down to earth and, and normal. Her career has been insane. I just want to get Alyssa wine drunk and make her tell us all of her White House stories. Yeah, that was the actual most fun. That was the best. Yeah. So. Back to just us. What a letdown. I know. We're so boring. I feel like the whole dynamic of the room has changed now that she's gone. I know. But tell me what you're obsessed with. Um, so right now my obsession is all of Folane's um, body products. So I had a meeting with them, oh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago where I got to meet with Tara, who I think we're going to get on the podcast at some point. And she walked me through all, like basically was like, what are you using that's not clean? What can I help you with? She gave me a whole bunch of recommendations. And then she walked me through their new private label um, line of body products. So they have this amazing body scrub, which is um, it's super hydrating and it's blue and it smells incredible. Um, and it's in a big tube, which you know I hate. I, I like things to be in tubes and not jars. There is also the um, the oil treatment that I gave you, which is kind of like a clean alternative to Origins Peace of Mind. There's an amazing body wash, which we all know I love a body wash. There's like just a ton of great products. Oh, and they have this awesome, awesome body oil, which is actually a spray. So you can just spray yourself with it and then rub it all in. It's really, really good. And of course, it's all organic, clean, no bad chemicals. Amazing. What about you? Um, so I, when I was in San Francisco, I went to Sephora with Jackie, which is uh, one of my favorite things to do because because Jackie works at Sephora on their creative team. So she has the inside scoop on all of the things that are new or cool or I don't know. Yeah. So we went to Sephora and she was like, you need to get this eyeshadow palette. And I had one. Do you remember the pineapple one I talked about a long time ago? Yeah, yeah. Well, it dropped that. So <laughs> it is no more. Okay. So I, I was looking for something to replace it. And she was like, okay, you need to get this one. It's from Anastasia Beverly Hills. The I think of them as mostly like an eyebrow stuff brand. Yeah, that's what I think of. They have this palette. It's called the Norvina palette, which apparently is named after her Instagram famous daughter. Okay. It is so good. I'm really into it. It's a bunch of like bronzy, goldy, pinky type colors. And there's like a sparkle side and a not sparkle side. Okay. Very into it. Wear it out last weekend. Got a ton of compliments on my makeup. Amazing. But very into it. And it is absolutely not something I would have chosen had she not recommended it. Oh, I love that. I wouldn't even been like looking at that brand for eyeshadow. Yeah. I always find eyeshadow to be so intimidating. Like I went to the Allison Broad headquarters of like a couple months ago and they gave me a few different ones to try. But like I just was like, oh, no, that looks too, too scary unless it's like pale gold. Well, next time. Oh, maybe I'll bring it to Mexico and you can try Yeah, this. I want to play with it. Yeah. What about Instagram? I don't have an Instagram. Oh, my God. Well, I have one that's good enough for both of us. Okay. And you know about this, too, because we were out to drinks with Casey Balsham, who is doing the stand-up at our live show. Yes. And she was like, are you following Average Fashion Blogger? And I was like, no, but this sounds fun. This girl is absolutely hilarious. Like, every bad thing the bloggers do, like, she is just on it. Like, the other day she had this outfit roundup and she's like, hey guys, like I'm wearing these leggings. Like this fabric is very soft. I don't know what this material is, but she just like hams it up and acts like 
like a blogger, but like, like just, it's so funny. I, it's hard to even explain it, but her videos are so great. Her Instagram stories are amazing. It's like the highlight of my day when she comes out with one. And it's funny because I looked to see who else was following her and so many of my favorite fashion bloggers follow her, which just shows to me that they have a great sense of humor. That's funny. Yeah. Let's talk about books. Yes. What are you reading right now? Okay, so I read two books since our last episode. The first thing I read was an advanced copy of The Unhoneymooners, which is Christina Lauren's new book. How did you get that? Was that a NetGalley? It was a NetGalley. Damn it. I, like, I'm Christina Lauren's biggest fan, and I haven't even heard of that. So this one comes out May 14th. Okay. Unsurprisingly, it's really great. Okay. And it's, like, one of those hating game love stories of, like, enemies become lovers. So I think you'll really like it. It's about... A girl whose twin sister uh, and her her whole wedding party gets uh, like a stomach food poisoning. Yeah. And so she goes on her sister's honeymoon for her with her brother-in-law's brother. Okay. And they're enemies. Okay. Very cute. Cute. The second thing I read was, I think this was actually recommended by Ashley Spivey originally. I got an advanced copy of this and I haven't. I, I don't think I'm going to read it. It just doesn't look like I want to, but maybe I do. So it's called I'm Fine and Neither Are You by Camille Pagan. And it's the story of a woman who's married. She has two children and her best friend dies. Yeah, this doesn't sound like something I want to read. And it's about how she's dealing with it. I, I'm not pushing you to read it. I did okay. enjoy it. I, I liked it a yeah. lot. But I would be really interested if you do read it to hear your thoughts because her friend is a lifestyle blogger. And oh, there's the, the blogger kind of, dies? The blogger dies. And oh, there's shit. Kind so of, is it you and me and I die? No. I don't have two kids. You're not going to die. It's fine. Okay. Um, But th- there's a whole storyline about how her friend had been hiding things because she felt like she needed to be perfect because of her internet persona interesting well we all know i don't feel like i have to be perfect well no but, but i thought it was an interesting I'm, i always love reading about bloggers i know it was an interesting storyline yeah with a blogger okay. that i hadn't seen before yeah so that's what i read what about you so I just finished reading Normal People by Sally Rooney. Oh, I'm so jealous. And so we are talking about that as our May book. But I, um, I'm early here. I, I was going to save it. But what happened was Book of the Month asked me to be like a, like one of their people who reviews something. So I am reviewing it for April. So if you go to Book of the Month, um, you'll get to see my review. It'll be live by now. But you should absolutely read it with us in May. Yeah. It's our May book. Yeah. But order it from Book of the Month because we love them. We do love them. Yeah. So that's all we have. I think this is a monstrously long episode in a yeah, good way. In a good way. I mean, I could just hang out with Alyssa forever. But if you're looking. That sounded creepy. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. But if you're looking for something to read, you should join us for our April book, which is Daisy Jones in the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I cannot wait to read this. Me either. I've had it for a month and I've been. I've been waiting. It. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um. She's one of our favorite authors. She also wrote uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And this one is set, I believe, in the 70s. I think it's a... Sounds like a little bit like almost famous Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to read it. I can't wait. So, Grace, if people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Grace Atwood or my blog, which is thestripe.com. And I am on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. So please come follow us. Uh, 
Also, follow us on Bad on Paper Podcast. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.